Welcome, everyone. I want to start by telling you why this podcast exists. Here's the thing. If you get out of bed in the morning, you are impacting someone with your life. We are telling a story, and every day is like one chapter in that story. The time will come when there are no more chapters to write, and the people we care about and the people that come after us will simply be reading our book. I don't know about you, but I am not that great of a storyteller, so I have to find an outline to follow. The most amazing outline that I have found is the one that Jesus gave us with his life. This podcast is about talking to people using that outline to write their own amazing stories. Our podcast is produced by Be Fun, Be Kind Podcasts. If you would like to explore podcasting yourself, Check out BeFunBeCon.com to learn how to create impactful conversation through podcasting. That's also where you can learn more about our mission and even partner with us through our journey. You can find us at BeFunBeCon.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. We would also love if you would just share this podcast with someone. Let's get started. Today, we are talking to Michael Towers. He has been a mental health and addictions counselor for over 20 years. He's a motivational speaker, leadership expert, and simply has an amazing story. Michael Towers, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. I love to start off asking people, what is Jesus doing in your life right now? And I know that you have an amazing story and I know you're going to share that with us today, but I just want to start off with that specifically. What is Jesus doing in your life within just the past six months? Um, especially with my background, when we talk about bipolar and the grandiosity that comes with that, what I know is that sitting around and praying for him to bless me is something that I can't just sit back and pray and hope that I have to go out and, and take the actions and know that the results of that effort are his will for me. So I'm in this season of doing what it is that one would do to be able to pursue that dream and then accept his will. Now, if his will is not for me to be a professional speaker, my relationship and my love for Jesus Christ won't change. So right now, my life scripture is the exalted will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. So it's all right, am I going to rest on my laurels? And so now I'm a professional speaker and he's blessed me and now I'm going to take it easier. Am I going to keep hustling? Am I going to keep grinding? Because he's provided me with these opportunities, I'm going to work even harder. So that's where I'm at now. My mornings start off with prayer time. It starts off with devotional, a Deuteronomy, which I cannot wait to get out of Deuteronomy. I cannot wait to get out of the woods and get into Joshua. I start off with I read Oswald Chambers, which I think I'm in the third year of reading this devotional because Oswald Chambers, I think, is probably the best mouthpiece for Christ, second to Paul. And right now I'm reading Gary Chapman's uh, Five Love Languages devotional, which I think is phenomenal for my wife and I's marriage. So I'll spend 45 minutes to an hour praying that I can be in his presence, um, meditating on the word, reading, and just trying to, to stay in his presence, just looking for his will in everything that I do. I have a great church. I serve. We tithe. And I have we played golf with my pastor yesterday, I'm going on a golf trip with my pastor this weekend, so stay very active with the people in my church, and I find that's the recipe that works for me. 
That's amazing. I appreciate you sharing that. And I'll tell you, Michael, one of the things that I really love about you and I really love about your story specifically is your transparency. Like you dive into some of these topics. You're not afraid to talk about some of the struggles that you've dealt with and some of the struggles that a lot of people deal with that really never gets talked about. And that's one reason I'm just really pumped about some of the discussions today or the discussions that we're going to go in today is to really just bring some of those things to the forefront. And so with that, I know you have a cool story and I want our audience to understand where this conversation is coming from a little bit better. So if you would just take a bit and help us understand your journey, why you are so passionate about helping people with mental health and addiction issues. I know you do a lot of Christian mental health counseling now, and that is a part of your background. So walk us through how you got here. Yes. So when I was as young as I can remember, it was kindergarten and I would go to school and I would have a calendar and every day a teacher would have to write on that calendar. They would have to give me a a smiley face, a straight face or a frowny face that indicated how my behavior was that day. Sometimes I would cut my own smiley face out and use a glue stick and put it on there. And obviously my parents saw that I did that. But what I realized is none of the other kids had this calendar. In the third grade, it was a green slip or a red slip that I had to bring home. And I was always different. And somewhere around that time, I had to go to see a therapist. And then I get put on Ritalin, which I can tell you, uh, I can remember voices in my head. And I don't think I communicated that when I was younger, that there were voices. So I'm taking medication. I'm going to therapy. But shortly after that, I'm getting bullied because I'm a freak. And I'm crazy because I have to go to the nurse's office and take medication. So by the eighth grade, I denied therapy, denied medication because I didn't want to get made fun of anymore. And my eighth grade year, I was suspended 23 times. I brought a handgun to school. And an amazing thing happened during that time. And that was my guidance counselor took a look at my functional scores and saw that I had graded near perfect. And what that did was it put me with a group of kids that played sports and wanted to wanted to achieve goals and And when they did that, my suspensions went from 23 to 9 to 5 to 2. And then when I got to college, college has this freedom, and it is a freedom that you might have been able to handle. But when I got there and realized that I had a choice as to whether I went to my 8 a.m. class or not, it wasn't a week or two in that I didn't go to my 8 a.m. class. And then when there was Wednesday night at the frat houses and Thursday night, they'd sneak us into the bars. I drank from Wednesday to Sunday. And what I found out very early on is that once I took a drink, I couldn't stop. It is hard to succeed in college when you drink from Wednesday to Sunday. I had trouble in college almost immediately. I dropped out. I was working at a car dealership with a bunch of other people like me that were doing a lot of substances and addiction issues. My friends are about to be lawyers and account executives, and I'm I'm so far away from my goals, it's crazy. I'm on on a stairway to nowhere, and my life is dark. And I remember one night that I was drinking with a bunch of friends down in Baltimore City, and we were at a bar, and I was in a blackout. You can go to the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, and you can find out exactly what alcohol abuse disorder looks like. But for me, I got two definitions for you. And one, if you have a personality change due to your drinking, you have a problem with alcohol. My last drink was September 1st in 98. I was in a hotel room with a bunch of guys smoking pot, and I said out loud, I don't want to do this anymore. And they all said, you say that every time we get together, and you have no power over this, man. You can't quit. You're powerless. And I did my first step with a bunch of other drug addicts. And when they cleared my hotel room that night, I got on my knees, and I prayed to a God I didn't believe in. I didn't believe in myself anymore. My life was a mess. And that night, I got on my knees, and I asked God to help me because I knew I couldn't do it on my own. 
And when I woke up that next morning, I, normally I'm waking up and I'm grabbing something dirty off the floor and I'm rolling out of the house like a cyclone that just runs through everything and anyone that gets in the way of what I want. And when you look in the rear view, it's ruined relationships, wasted potential and, and destruction. And that morning I woke up and I, I sensed a peace. I felt a peace and I just sat back in bed and sat in this peace. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I would never drink again for the rest of my life. And I had felt the presence and the grace of God. I went from hopeless to full of hope. And I haven't had a drink since November 13th of 1998. It's been uh, 23 years. I know Jesus came back into your life in a very strong way. What are some specific things that you have learned about Jesus that has really poured into you in what you were experiencing? What really pulled you through some of those things? I am a big not worry guy. When the Bible says that worry doesn't add a single hour on your life or a single minute on your life, I take that very literally and try not to focus on a whole lot of worry. I'll check in with God about my fear and about being scared, but worry is not something I stay in. And I'll give you a real practical example of that. I can remember one time I parked uh, a used Mercedes that I owned out in an area that was a tow zone at four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'd misplaced my key, which was a laser cut key. And by misplacing that key by four o'clock, that car was going to get towed, which is a, an obscene amount of money if it gets towed, plus a daily fee and all that. But with the key lost, I was going to need to get a new key, which was an amount of money. But with no key, the car was going to need to get towed out to a dealership. And I can remember sitting down for about five minutes with this quandary of this car is going to get towed or I'm going to have to pay for it to get towed to a dealership. And just sitting there and, and praying to God for about five minutes and then getting up and doing what needed to be done in that particular situation Whereas anxiety was never my deal, being crushed with what am I going to do and being overwhelmed by that. God, I'm giving you this. I'm casting this onto you, which means I'm going to throw it out and let it go. So casting all of that onto you. With God, you look at Peter, which is the only other person that we are aware of that documented in history that walked on water. And he walked on water for two steps and then dropped in the water when he took his eyes off of God. I have dropped in the water numerous times in my life. And I promise you that every time that I did was the moment that I stopped looking to Christ. And I don't know, I don't want to ever look at you and tell you that I'm terminally unique, but there is something about Mike Towers. There's a worship song called Give Me Faith by Elevation Worship. For Mike Towers, it is a minute at a time and I got to be focused on Christ because for whatever reason, you give me a second on my own and I'm going to sink. And so that's the way it's been for me is that I got to walk and I got to focus on Christ. I am uh, great at the valley. Great. I do so well at rock bottom and I struggle on the mountaintops. The moment you hear me say, man, I did this. I did that. I'm great. Look out, call my psychiatrist and call my pastor. Jesus's ministry certainly told me so much. I read the ragamuffin gospel was one of the, the number one things in my life. I read it under a tree after coming home, separated and divorced from my, my ex-wife and then dating a bunch because I just wanted to replace her, which was so counterintuitive to the process and what was supposed to happen. And I was dying from shame and guilt. And I got to the point where I hit rock bottom with that. And I, I saw the ragamuffin gospel that somebody got me when I realized that not only did Christ come to earth, he came to earth for me. He came to earth for throwaways, 
and ragamuffins. And when I realized that, I, I looked up and I said, if he can circumvent and navigate the entire galaxy to die for someone that screwed up over and over again, if he can do what he did for people like me, then I can try a little harder today to obey. Wow. I think a lot of people may say, what does the Bible say about mental health? They may not understand that there are a lot of parallels there. And I think what you just said is one of the best examples that you could give about how that is buried in there in so many aspects and so many steps of what Jesus did and so much of the message that we see that he gave to us. You talked about Peter and you talked about him walking on water and taking his eyes off of Jesus and that's when he fell. And wow, what what a profound way to describe Something that we all go through, right? I mean, there are different areas in our life where we all struggle to some degree mentally. We really have to step back in those moments and figure out what our priorities are, I believe, and figure out what is really causing us to struggle. And I think, I'm obviously not an expert in this area, but I would imagine that a lot of the things that lead to things like addiction and a lot of the things that lead to really being mentally unhealthy is trying to fix those things on our own. And we get absorbed in that and we we can't fix it. And so we go a step further and we go a step further and we go a step further. And what I've just heard you say is Jesus provides us a path that we don't really have to do that on our own. He gives us a scenario. He gives us a model to follow that says, hey, do this right here. Follow what I'm telling you. Follow my life. Follow what I am doing and what I lived out. You don't have to figure this out on your own. Is that a good summary? Yeah, absolutely. As I'm praying and meditating, which means Christ, I'm going to Christ and I'm praying and meditating. That is a piece that you and I will not go without. What I hear is, we'll grab a basketball, put it by the front door, go swimming. These are all things that you'll do because you like doing those, right? And move around, just move around. 30 minutes of basketball or swimming or racquetball, and you'll get the mental health benefits of exercise. Christ told me that on the river, looking at these trees, praying and meditating to him. But with people, right? You're going to talk to the people in your life, your pastor, your accountability partners, the people at church. They're going to give you ideas and things of that nature too. But the the Bible's clear in Proverbs. You got to talk to many counselors. So the Bible reaffirms that we need to talk to to doctors, to psychiatrists, to counselors. So that's there too. So 100%, it's a great way to communicate that we need to use prayer and Christ. He created all these amazing things. But I used to believe for a long time, and I'm, I'm, I'm no dummy. I would say I'm an idiot, but I'm no dummy. But for the longest time, I thought that it was spiritual, physical, and mental, that they were three pieces that needed to be all taken care of for the person to be whole. But what now I realize is it's mental and physical, and Jesus has to be here. These have to be through the lens of Christ. So it's Christ, guide me, direct my steps, show me the way, and then we make our decisions based on his vision for us. Yeah, definitely. And just to pull out something that you mentioned that probably a lot of people know about, but maybe not, there are a lot of really great Christian mental health counseling opportunities out there. Like If you're in that spot and you need something like that, there's some also just some really great 
Christian mental health support groups out there that people can get involved in and people can really dive into. Is that something that you found along the way that was helpful at all for you? Yeah, so I I will tell you without telling you that I'm a member of a 12-step program. So, you know, with with anonymity, I won't tell you specifically, but I joined a 12-step program about five months before I got sober. My dad was in one about six months before I went to my first meeting. When I went to college and I took my first individual counseling class, they asked us who was in recovery. And it is not abnormal for there to be the number of people that are in recovery to be going to counseling, to try to be a substance abuse counselor, that idea of giving back or trying to get in the field to help because of having recovered. And I raised my hand that I was in recovery. And the counselor said, for those of you that have your hand raised, you're going to be biased counselors because you believe that the 12 steps are the best way to get sober. And I I didn't necessarily agree with that because there are different modes like celebrate recovery and different types of cognitive behavior therapy. And there are other modes, but I I was new in recovery. So I, I hadn't yet made that distinction yet. But after 20 years in the field, going to California and counseling at high end $80,000 a month rehabs and being at inner city clinics. What I now believe more than ever is the 12 steps are 100% the best way to get sober. Everything that is in the literature for the program, and it's the first 12 step program, and then I'll give you a little bit of help, that I go to is from the Bible. I can take you to so much of the literature that comes right from the Bible. And it came, the founder came from a Christian program. And he left there because of some of the things that we're saying were highly controversial. So he left and they started this program. And so what I will tell you is that it was Christian. They kept it a higher power so that more people could come, right? But I can show you all the different ways it came from the Bible. But what the 12-step do is they, and what I told you the difference was believing in God, which is uh, step two and believing that a God can restore your sanity. And step three is turning your will and life over to the care. When I tell you about some of the things that I did in my story was this period of time where I believed in God, right? When I got on my knees on November 13th and 98, and he relieved me of my alcoholism, I believed in God. He changed my life. I no longer had the desire to drink and I haven't had it for 23 years, but it took me six years to turn my will and life over to God. So therefore, turning my will and life over to God, I had the life that I wanted planned, and I didn't know if me and God were aligned there. And my life was a train wreck until I turned it over to him. That's the third step. But four and five is about doing an inventory on all your resentments, all the conduct in your life that was inappropriate so you can learn what proper conduct is, and then looking at all your fears. And then six and seven is your character defects, becoming a better person. Eight and nine is making all the amends. And then 10 and 11 is about making things right the moment you make them wrong. That's the whole Matthew. You'd have to tell me exactly what it is, but it's about leaving your goods at the altar and going back out and making it right with your brother right away. Right? It's the first time God says, leave your stuff with me and go out. Go out there and make it right with your brother. And then 11 is salt through prayer and meditation to improve your conscious contact with me. You're becoming Christ-like. And then 12 is having done that, go out and help other people. So there's the 12 steps. That's what life change is. Postponing a drink and not drinking isn't life change. It's just not drinking. The same alcoholic will drink again. The same drug addict will use again. So the 12 steps change who you are and then set you on a path to lead people to change. Something that I have noticed a lot is when 
any of us are in those types of scenarios where we're just really struggling at something, how beneficial it can be to switch your mind to helping someone else go through their struggle or walk through with someone else. And I know that is exactly what you are doing now. Like you've walked through this, you've been through this, and you have really refocused your life into helping people walk through what you just walked through. And I would love for you to touch on, number one, what you have received from that, just sort of personal benefits that you've gotten from that. And number two, how you think that really changes our mindset. If you're struggling with something, if you maybe even have an addiction, how changing your mindset and saying, hey, let me go help someone else that is maybe in a worse position than I am. So I'm not focusing on this all the time. Just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I realized to give you a little better answer on your last question, but joining a support group, being a group counselor, when you go to a group, there's this group psychotherapy principle called insulation of hope. And when you're around other people that are farther along in you and you realize that they're uh, getting better and they have the same stuff that you do, you get a sense of hope because you realize you can get better too. That is a, a principle that you don't want to miss. So getting involved in some type of group therapy is absolutely important. Getting involved with small groups in your church where you can be around common people. I'm leading a group actually on addiction and mental health for my church this semester in our fall semester. So groups are huge. So if you're Christian, you want to make sure you get to a Christian therapist. But these are all things that are helpful. Safe Harbor is a good one. You can find them online now. So if you're not ready to quite walk out the house, there are online available. But yes, groups seeing a therapist, all these things are going to help. When I walked into 12-step program and I saw that last step, I thought, I don't see how helping another person is going to help me with all the problems that I have. But when I started cleaning ashtrays at meetings and, and I started making coffee, it is really hard to worry about your own problem when you're doing tasks and you're helping out and you're talking to other people as you're doing these tasks. And yeah, when you're talking to somebody else about their problems and their problems are worse, and you're giving them advice and you're helping them out with their problems. It is really, again, hard to focus on what you you have going on. And boredom and loneliness are all things to be avoided. When you're severely depressed, you have tons of anxiety. Getting up and going out and doing these things aren't easy. But for people with addiction issues or serious mental health issues, we have got to take contrary actions. When we don't want to go, we go. When we don't want to help out, we help out. When we don't want to put chairs away, we put the chairs away. And we do these things, we feel better. And that, that is just it. And it's hard to explain. But when we go and, and pitch in, we feel better. And that's the answer to your question. You have to do it to feel it. But when you do it and you actually help out and chip in, you just feel better. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with that 100%. Again, I feel like I experience that in, in different areas of my life. And I think that most people that I've talked to, it's just a reset. If you're able to really pour into someone else, you're, you're not focusing your thoughts and in, in, in quite as selfless as a way as you would be if you had an opportunity to pour into someone else. So I agree with that 100%. Michael, this has been great. Tell our audience where they can find more about you. I believe you do a lot of coaching. I know you do a lot of speaking and you just have your own platform that you really help people that are going through this type of thing. Tell our audience how they can connect with you, how they can you know, stay in touch with what you're doing. Yeah. So wanting to talk about how you can succeed and that being my primary motivation is to help you live your best life. My website is speakingofyoursuccess.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn and it's Michael Towers. 
Now, to get real, and I appreciate you saying that, I think that in my space, in the speaking space, I think when people ask, what are you going to do differently than the other speakers? What value are you going to offer? I think 100% without a doubt, authenticity and realness is the thing that I'm going to offer, where if you're a guy and you're sitting there listening to a podcast, struggling with something uh, that's underneath, that's in the darkness, and, and you're hurting, and you hear me talking about when I came home from California and I was separated from my ex-wife and I was so lonely and I'm having nightmares every night and I'm waking up crying and my dog's laying on top of me, holding me down because he knows what pain I'm in. And, and then the guy just looks up and goes, what did that guy say? You know, and struggling with something similar, trying to numb the pain that he's in. And so I say that to say, LinkedIn or speakingofyoursuccess.com because I have an Instagram account, I have a Facebook account, and I have a Twitter account, but you won't find me on there. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Definitely encourage our audience to, to check out some of those resources. Again, Michael, the things that I just really love about your story and about you specifically is that you really dive into some authentic things that a lot of people need to hear, and you really are not afraid to give practical things that you're doing right now that are something that we all need to hear. So I appreciate you sharing that, number one. And I've just enjoyed this conversation and look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you so much for coming on. That's my pleasure. Thanks for joining us in this series as we explore more about who Jesus is. So much in our society has been influenced by his life in some way. Something I think about is that if I wanted to be the best painter I could possibly be, I would probably find the best painter in history to pattern after, maybe Leonardo da Vinci. If I wanted to create a really cool computer company, I would probably follow Steve Jobs. Plus, I don't know, apples are my favorite fruit, so that sort of makes sense. If I wanted to live the best life I possibly could, not just a good life, not even just a great life, but the best life, I would try to find someone who lived life perfectly. The only person I know of who has done that is Jesus. If you heard something today you're curious about, you have questions on, or you simply want to learn how to apply the message that Jesus gave us to your own life, I invite you to reach out. You can contact us just by going to our page at befundbecon.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. I'll see you on the next episode.